Or fellowship loud. No talking. <laughs> no hugs. No kindness. Time to come in and sit down, have a seat. Oh, I just got booed. Wow. Um, come on in, everyone. Uh, find your place. Find your place to sit and then stand up because the worship team is going to uh, lead us in a song here and then I'll come back up for some announcements. guys can have a seat. Morning, everyone. Welcome to Titan Drive Bible Chapel. Let's go through some announcements here. You can see we have eight birthdays this week, so find your favorite person on that list and wish them a happy birthday uh, this morning. And then uh, the church retreat that was scheduled for, I guess, two weekends from now has been canceled. The camp actually canceled on us. They said the the smoke is too bad, and they're not scheduling any retreats for September, so they canceled on us. So uh, no retreat in two weeks. 
And then the elders made a decision this morning. We were planning on being outside next week and then three weeks from now, and that has been canceled as well. So we'll just carry on as we were uh, inside. And that actually works out well for my sermon because I was going to be outside uh, in a few weeks, but I have lots of maps that I need to show for different locations, and I don't know how I was going to do that outside. So, um, so we are back inside um, just with a normal, or I don't know, as normal as it can be, September, where we're going to be here inside all four weeks. And then high school group started up this last Friday at the Hawkins house, so any of you that are high school age or anybody that knows any high schoolers can send them over to the Hawkins house on Friday nights at 6 o'clock, and they feed those high schoolers well, so send them on an empty stomach. And then um, as we've been kind of working towards the new normal, uh, we want to start off uh, our Wednesday nights in a normal way at the normal time, which is the first Wednesday in October. So we're going to have a meal. We're going to have action. Uh, junior high group uh, is all going to start that first Wednesday of October. Uh, so make sure your calendars know that. Uh, that we will be starting up our regular Wednesday activities as soon as October hits. And uh, I guess the last announcement from the screen there is uh, we will be resuming Wigglers during the, the preaching time uh, in the next few weeks. So if you are interested in serving uh, with Wigglers, please let Susie and Rachel know. Now, last thing I have is I was uh, handed a note from uh, the Boys Ranch uh, this morning that I want to read to you. It says, Dear Titan Drive Bible Church family, how you blessed all of us at the Flying H Youth Ranch with your facility and all the amazing servants helping us in every way. The food, lodging, and servant hearts were top-notch. We truly saw the love of Jesus in everything you did for us. Thank you, and God richly bless you. So I thank all of you um, that have servants' hearts that served uh, the boys' ranch uh, a week ago during their time where they were uh, kicked out off the ranch and were in the building with us. Uh, so that was a real privilege to use this building uh, in a God-honoring way. And I thank you that so many of you guys have the gift of of helps and, and that servant attitude. I think that's it for announcements. So I am going to pray right now. And as soon as I'm done praying, the kids are dismissed for Sunday school. And then we're going to uh, get Mike up here with five extra minutes for him to preach this morning. So, Lord, we do thank you so much uh, again for this time this morning, the chance to uh, be here together, the chance to uh, open up the Word of God together, the chance to um, be in the Gospels, to look at the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, the perfect life that he lived. Um, we just thank you for that opportunity to study under your Word, the freedom that we have to do that week after week, uh, to do it together. And so, Lord, we just ask your blessing on our time this morning. Bless Mike. Uh, just give him just the right words to say. Uh, I pray that you would um, set him aside and speak directly through him to us. Uh, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would um, open up our hearts to receive your holy word. Uh, so, Lord, we just uh, commit uh, this next hour or so to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Matthew chapter 2, everybody. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy. That is what the Magi or the wise men did when they realized that God himself had led them to Jesus Christ. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Has God led you to Jesus Christ? Do you know who he is? Have you come to worship him? You can join with the Magi this morning and the whole rest of your life if you choose. And you can rejoice exceedingly with great joy because you have been led to the King of all kings and the Lord of lords. The King of the Jews and hopefully the King of your life as well. The Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Matthew chapter 2, we started last week with Matthew chapter 1. Let's turn there or turn on your Bibles and navigate there. Uh, we're going to get through the whole chapter, hopefully, and thank you for an extra five minutes uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 2, thanks for praying, Tim. I just want to say amen to that and let's get right into it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Huge amounts of information in those two verses right there. I have listened to over probably three, four hours of uh, stuff just on those words right there. And, uh, and there's more that could be said. So let's get, get into this. Uh, after Jesus was born. So we're not talking about right when Jesus is born. This is sometime after Jesus was born. Uh, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem known for a few different things. One of them being the city of David the king. David the king. And so we're in Bethlehem here in the city of David the king. Remember the book of Matthew focuses on Jesus being a king. We saw in the chapter 1, his lineage shows, it proves that he could legally be king because he was related to David, the king. And we're here in Bethlehem, the city of David, the king. So uh, chapter 1 shows that he could be king. And in chapter 2, we're going to see him being worshipped as king, uh, but we're also going to see another king as well. The word king is going to come up quite a bit here. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Okay, Herod the king. Herod was appointed by Caesar and the Roman government uh, to be the head over the area of Judea and the surrounding areas. He actually started, I didn't realize this till recently, but he started in Galilee. He was actually kind of a governor of that area. Uh, and then eventually he actually went back to Rome, convinced them to give him the whole area and then he became the king. And he liked the word king, and according to him, he was king of the Jews because he was the king of the area of Judea. So according to Rome, according to politics, he was king of the Jews. Now ask the average Jew on the street, who's the king of the Jews? Would they say Herod? Probably not. There would be a lot of mixed feelings about that. Uh, some of them probably would say it, and we're going to see here that some of them really had been beaten down and uh, anything to have peace with Rome, they were willing to throw out anything uh, if it meant that they could have peace with Rome. And calling him king of the Jews, well, if that's what i got to do, 
will do that. But there were others who definitely would not say that and uh, were a bit zealous about that. And uh, so Herod had a tough situation on his hands. Remember, the Roman royal did not send, it wasn't centered in Israel. It was centered uh, in Europe over in uh, Rome. And so uh, Israel would be kind of on the eastern edge over there across some water or a long journey down there. We're kind of far away from the center. So Herod, he was taking care of that area over there. And what was just to the east of that area that he was in charge of? Well, we have the leftovers of the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, it was Babylon before that. And I didn't realize, again, I learned a lot of history and studying this here, that um, there are still remnants of that that were over there in the east. Uh, and uh, there were things going on, uh, some leaders over there in Persia, it would be at this time, um, kind of. And so he knew that there were things going on over there. And there were rumors, uh, and, and I listened to a message where they actually read from several historians during the time, there were rumors all around the Middle East of a king that would come and uh, would actually be uh, from Judea, of all places. And I, I had no idea that, that that was in the Gentile world over there. Um, so some of them were expecting a king, and this king would actually unite the whole area, bring peace and prosperity and some other things too. Herod didn't like that idea at all because uh, he wanted to be king, and he wanted to be king of the Jews. So, Herod the king, this is an interesting uh, situation here. We have Herod the king. He knows he's sitting on a volatile situation with people, a lot of them, who really don't want to be ruled by him. Uh, and then a people to the east who things are going on over there and there's rumors of a king that might come someday and uh, kick him out of his position. And so Herod, knowing those things and being the guy that he is, uh, anytime he hears a rumor of some other king or something happening that would affect his kingship, he often, unfortunately, took care of it by killing somebody, uh, even including his own sons and wives. Uh, he would do anything that uh, he thought might be a, a problem to his rule. So, there you go. We got Herod, king of the Jews, according to Rome at this time, uh, someone who was always looking for anything that might happen to overthrow his, his uh, kingship, and he wanted to squash it immediately. That's the situation, and we're in Bethlehem, the city of David, the king. Uh, you know, for Herod, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? Being the guy that he is, completely worried, kind of sounds like he's someone, probably lost a lot of sleep, just laying in bed all night wondering, someone's going to take my throne, someone's going to take my throne, what's it going to be? He always was worried about it. What's the worst possible thing that could happen? Let's read. Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's the worst thing that could happen uh, to Herod, I think, uh, it sounds like. Uh, that's why Matthew puts in a behold. Did you guys see that there? He didn't say Magi arrived. He said, Behold. Matthew's like, You're never going to believe this. You guys know Herod, the guy who's always worried about everyone taking over? He wants to be king of the Jews? Well, you're never going to believe this. Listen to this, you guys. Magi came, and they said, where's the king of the Jews? Uh, you see, it's just an amazing, really, situation. Who are these magi? Uh, the Bible, when it comes right down to us, doesn't tell us a whole lot. 
does it? Uh, one of the reasons I took this passage, I wanted to do some research and try to figure out who are they? What, what can we learn about them? And uh, most of my researching uh, didn't lead much of anywhere. <laughs> uh, and of course, what I always come back to is what does the Bible say? And we'll basically stick with that. I will tell you a little bit that I learned and what they might, who they might have been here in just a minute. Um, if you look up pictures on Google Images, every one of them will be three guys on camels. Uh, does it say there's three? It doesn't. Does it say they rode camels? No, it doesn't. Does it say their names? No, it doesn't say their names. Does it say the country specifically where they came from? No, it doesn't. There are traditions that say all of those things. I found out also that there's even someone who found their, their uh, skeletons and they took their skulls and they put them in a cathedral in Europe and you can go visit them today. Uh, not sure how they knew the skulls were these guys. Uh, maybe they were facing Bethlehem or something like that. Uh, the Bible does not tell us much. Uh, it does tell us some things. And if we just look at what the Bible tells us, actually, these are awesome guys. You should be like the Magi. These guys are great. And just the more I've thought about this, the more I thought, man, these are, the, these are a great example to all of us. And if we lived our lives according to what we know of these guys, uh, that would be doing pretty well. They're from the east. Uh, I'll talk in a minute where that might mean from. And uh, we know that, the Bible tells us from the east, they uh, apparently study stars, something happened up in the stars, and it led them on a trip, probably like a three-month trip there, uh, so that must be a really big deal, they must study them, and it must be a big part of their lives, and what, did, what were they coming to do? According to the Bible, what was their one goal? To worship Jesus, to worship the King of the Jews. We, there's so much we don't know about them but there's one thing we do know, their goal, and they were willing to travel through a blazing hot desert months at a time to do it was simply to worship Jesus. Is that a pretty good goal? <laughs> I'd say it is. That's a great goal. I wish that my goal was that, uh, and I'd be willing to do anything like these guys, simply to worship Jesus. Pretty amazing thing. Okay, here's... Uh, in my study of who the Magi were, I didn't go read a bunch of historians and stuff like that. I did. There are some commentaries. I knew there were some commentaries who probably did a lot of research. So I listened to sermons by them, and I read their commentaries. So they did a bunch of research. They shared what they learned, and I'll share a little bit what I learned from what they shared what they learned. Uh, and, well, we might get some truth here. I don't know. Uh, Magi is not a word you can translate. Uh, it's not like a description of a person. It's an actual group of people, it sounds like. Uh, Magi, and it probably dates back to some connection with Babylon, ancient Babylon, uh, and the kings. The kings would always have people that would advise them, uh, and their advisors, you know, even in the Bible and in other things, uh, the king's advisors, they would be really, hopefully, smart people. Uh, they might be able to interpret dreams. They might be able to interpret the stars. They might be able to interpret the times and, and uh, get a feeling for things and advise the king on what to do based on those things perhaps based on the religions and other things that they believed in. Perhaps some of them would be priests in their own way or uh, all sorts of interesting things there. Um, well, probably the Magi had their roots there, had something to do with that uh, in Babylon. And remember an interesting thing about Babylon. Uh, do we know about one of those? Uh, and it, believe it or not, if you go back, and I read this in Daniel, they're called wise men. 
Did you know they were called wise men uh, back, the people that advised the king in Babylon? There's a few different words. Wise men is one of them, and there's a word that sounds like magi in there as well. Uh, interesting. Never saw that before. Uh, so the magi probably were not all of these people, but maybe a group of these people that were advisors to the king were a magi, a group, uh, a group that actually, if you're, you're born into this group, kind of like the Levitical system, and the Jews, well, the Magis were a group of people, and uh, they would advise the king. You remember a famous a Jewish person who went uh, to be with them? Daniel, the prophet Daniel. He became one of them, and after he interpreted a dream from the king correctly, the king made him the head over all the Magi. Uh, it said something like Magi, wise men, and uh, it also said magicians and some other things too in there. But there were magi mixed in there. Now, if, if Daniel's the head over your group, do you think Daniel's going to tell you something about God? There's no chance that he didn't, okay? He did. Uh, very godly man. God used in a powerful ways, and he was getting prophecies as well uh, directly from God. Surely he told these group, and the magi heard about God there. Now, like I said, a lot of speculation here. I don't really know, and I don't know where these historians really get all their information but it sounds pretty good that uh, the Magi probably came from people that attended to the king and helped him. And uh, Daniel perhaps had a big part in at least some of them coming to know the truth about God. You take people who study the stars, very wise in the sciences and, and other stuff. And uh, one guy said even further, the Magi, from what we know, they believed there was one God. They believed in a sacrificial system. It actually was a lot that sounded like the Jews. It wouldn't be a big jump to actually accept Yahweh as the true living God. So perhaps that, that sounds pretty reasonable. And actually, uh, one message I heard, well, two hours of a message, um, they read several historians that said a lot of things along those lines uh, that that was true. So the Magi, probably roots in Babylon, uh, the wise men that attended the king, eventually Medo-Persia would take over Babylon, but they would still be around. And they would actually become a group of people that the, that the kings would really, uh, their, their favorite advisors would be the magi, and they became to be known as people who were very wise and could, in fact, interpret uh, dreams, the stars, and other things. Okay, Don't know any details there. If God was still working in them or if they were passing on truth, I don't really, we don't really know. But uh, many historians during the time of the Medo-Persian Empire mentioned the magi, that word, and that they were what eventually would be called kingmakers. Uh, the kings uh, esteemed them so highly that a lot of times they would never do anything without consulting the magi. And they became so important that the magi actually would be the people when there was a new king who coronated the new king. Well, in the Medo-Persian Empire, eventually it was the magi that actually did it, and so they became known as kingmakers. All the details of Babylon I'm not so sure about, but almost everything that I heard uh, converged on that, that they were kingmakers. Uh, the Magi were kingmakers. And if they had something to say to a king or about a king, everyone listened. And uh, they were respected as very wise people, and usually what they said was right on. Wise. So uh, when they said there's a new king around, uh, most people would say, well, there's a new king. These guys are always right. And uh, so when the Magi come to Jerusalem, 
and they're saying to Herod, they're actually, it says they're saying, which means they said it many times, it's almost like they got to Jerusalem and they were expecting a party. They, they were expecting everybody to be celebrating the birth of this new king. I mean, if this new king who's going to bring peace and this and that and the rest, and the stars are even showing it, surely Jerusalem is celebrating, right? Surely the, you know, the capital of the Jewish area, the people would be celebrating. And surely the, whoever's in charge, the king at the time, it would be one of his kids, right? Maybe that's what they were expecting. I think they were a bit surprised when people weren't sure what they were talking about. <clears throat> but that's somewhat of the situation. That's a little bit of what I learned about the Magi. Uh, some people go even further say they date all the way back to Abraham. Uh, and I don't know about all that. So there's the situation. Magi from the east. Uh, so, by the way, uh, almost every picture I saw looks like that. I found one picture. This is the only one that looks a little different. Uh, it probably was a group kind of like that. Uh, probably, and again, they show three guys. We don't know if there was three, but there probably was a large group with them, a whole entourage. And they did, they were known for traveling around in pomp and uh, lots of fancy stuff, and they had special hats and everything. Uh, so people would know who they were when they came. So when they entered Jerusalem, it would be a big deal. Okay, there's a map. If they came from the Babylon area, uh, it would look something like that. And it would be a trip that would take, according to this, uh, I don't know if you guys can see that. According to this, uh, it would be about 120 days if they were traveling that far every day. You know, we don't know exactly, but that's a pretty long time, okay? We're talking months. It's a month-long trip. Maybe at the very shortest, it was a two-month trip. Maybe a three- or four-month trip, according to that. Either way, that's a big trip. They went a long ways. They set aside everything. They went to their calendar and crossed off everything. Remember, they got to come back again. So we're talking six months or so. They crossed off everything for six months. And what did they write in place of it? Worship Jesus. That's what we know about him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Well, no duh, huh? <laughs> he was troubled. You can imagine a guy who was always troubled every day about whoever was trying to take over his throne. And the magi, the kingmakers, the worst thing that could ever happen just happened. Uh, where is this king of the Jews? What's he going to do? All Jerusalem was troubled with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So he goes to the chief priests and scribes. These are the Jewish people who knew the Old Testament. They would know a lot of this stuff. And uh, did Herod know that they would know? Yeah, that's why he went to them. Uh, in fact, Herod's a king, and these, in a way, you might say, are his advisors. Uh, is that interesting that the Magi are an ancient people who used to uh, advise kings? Um, and so they advised him. They go right to the Old Testament. They knew where it was written. This is in Micah 5.2, by the way, uh, Bethlehem. And that's where... He's going to be born. Look specifically at what Herod said to his people there. He inquired of them where, who was to be born? What did he say? The Messiah. 
wait a minute, wait right there. Did the Magi say they were looking for the Messiah? No, the Messiah was not, that word was not used. They're Gentiles. They were simply looking for the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, which could become a powerful ruler in the Middle East. They didn't say Messiah. Why did King Herod put together the king of the Jews with the Messiah from the Old Testament? I don't know exactly, but what it does show us is it shows that Herod knew about the Messiah and the people in Jerusalem knew about the Messiah too. It's, it's a big question, you know, in the New Testament times, were the people really looking for the Messiah or were they not? They were. At least here it shows that there was a, a definite idea about the Messiah. And they knew where he would be born. It was easy to look up in God's word where he was to be born. Another problem there, it says Herod was troubled. Now that's, that's obvious, okay? We all see why he was troubled. But it says all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem with him. Now they took what the Magi said to be the Messiah. The Magi are saying, okay, Jerusalem, uh, in, in Jerusalem's mind, in their mind, they're saying, these guys are saying the Messiah might have just been born. And he's in Bethlehem, just hours from here. And they were troubled by it. Should they be troubled by it? What should they do? They should be jumping for joy, right? The Messiah, the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, God coming to make everything right, the mere chance that it might be the Messiah should be one of the most exciting things they've ever heard. They should all be grabbing their family and running to Bethlehem and racing to see who can get there first. And let's find this Messiah, the fulfillment of everything. God's plan is perfect, and his plan involves the Messiah if he is coming in Bethlehem, we're going, and we're going to rejoice on the way, and there's going to be a party like no other party before. That's what should have happened, because the whole Old Testament is full of prophecies about the Messiah and how great he would be. And they were looking for a Messiah, but they were troubled. Why were they troubled? It seems like instead of putting their hope in the Messiah, they were putting their hope in Rome, in other political leaders, uh, Herod. I think uh, probably the thought of a Messiah being born is going to make Herod mad. When Herod's mad, heads start rolling, right? Which is a real thing. I mean, that would be a bummer. You know, he's going to get mad and things are going to happen. Rome's not going to be happy with this. We want to keep Rome happy, keep Herod happy. Just, let's just not do anything. Keep the status quo. Let's keep, stay with Rome's plan. That's the best plan, right? Rome's plan and Herod's plan. That's the very best plan, not God's. <laughs> you see, it seems like uh, they had moved from God's plan being the best to, to Rome's plan or their own, however in their mind they were thinking that this was right, their own plan. They were looking to the politics of the time and the leaders of the time. Uh, and it seemed like they thought that was better than Jesus, God in the flesh, uh, coming the Messiah. They really missed it, didn't they? It's sad th that they were troubled by that. They should not have been troubled. They should have been excited uh, about this. <clears throat> it's amazing, too. They knew right where to go in the scriptures to find where he was going to be born. Uh, they knew about it. They were expecting a Messiah, 
it shows that you can know something and even understand something, and yet your heart can be far from God uh, and far from the truth. It's pretty amazing here. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Herod's an evil man, uh, an evil leader, and he wants to kill Jesus. There's no other way around it. He just wants to kill anybody who has anything to say about his throne. Uh, so that's all he wants. Notice he sends the Magi. He's not willing to go himself. Uh, he's not willing to go. I, I read it's about a four or five hour walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It's not that far. He wasn't willing to go. Uh, the scribes and the, the chief priests, it doesn't say any of them went. Uh, he didn't send them. Apparently, it was too far of a walk to go see the Messiah, uh, to go find if it was really true. That's really sad. <laughs> the Jews should have been looking forward so much to the Messiah coming. And they didn't care. <laughs> they just didn't care. Uh, so he has to send these Gentiles who had come far from the east. They were the ones who were willing to go and see him. Amazing uh, how this works out. He wanted to know the exact time the star appeared. Probably uh, he was putting his plot together in his head how he's going to kill Jesus. Well, I need to know about how old he is. So uh, probably assuming if the star appeared at a certain time, that was the day of the birth. So if the star appeared six months ago, baby's probably six months old. He's probably figuring something like that, trying to get some information. And obviously there, uh, let me go back. I think. Uh, he's lying. I think you guys see that, but he's just lying through his teeth there. Uh, but he wants to come worship him. And that's really sad, too. These other guys come for three months through a blazing desert just to worship him. And Herod lies about it. He says, I want to worship him, too. A complete lie. Oh, that worked. <laughs> After hearing the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. <clears throat> okay, so what's the nature of this star? Well, there's plenty of things you can read about that too. Lots of different ideas about this. Uh, could have been a natural event. Uh, at the time, this is actually uh, something that happened last year. Uh, anybody remember in the news, the Bethlehem star is back. Anyone see that in the news? Uh, well, during the time around Jesus' birth, uh, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, uh, and it happened again last year, uh, December 21st. They were pretty close together. You can see each day, uh, each day, each week, they were getting closer and closer together. You could see them coming, and then eventually they got really close together in the sky. A very bright star next to it, Regalus, the king star, uh, was near it too. Uh, maybe it was something like this. This did happen around the time that Jesus was born. Maybe that was it. Uh, maybe it was a completely supernatural star that wasn't there before and it wasn't there again that we wouldn't really know anything about now, uh, but it was there. It could have been that. Maybe it was something low in the atmosphere because uh, it actually led them to the house that they were going. Uh, maybe it was the, the actual glory of God, the Shekinah glory that, that led the Israelites through the wilderness. Remember that light that led them? 
uh, perhaps, uh, you know, the Lord was appearing on earth and his glory was being revealed from the heavens or something like that. That's a lot of different options I just gave you. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of, pretty much, you find everybody's idea. Uh, and the commentaries, it was pretty much, one, one person felt really strongly about this one, one felt strongly about this one, and they were all over the place. So, don't know for sure uh, which one it could be. What we do know, uh, notice back in uh, verse 2. In verse 2 it said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Did verse 2 say that they were following the star? It did not. It said, We saw his star in the east uh, and we came to Jerusalem to worship him. They saw a star that apparently signified the king of the Jews. Where do you go to find the king of the Jews? You go to Jerusalem. That's why they went to Jerusalem. It doesn't say they were following the star at the beginning. Sorry to burst your bubble, folks, but they might not have been following the star when they went to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that. It just said the star signified his birth, so they went to Jerusalem because that's where you would find the king of the Jews. It seems like, actually, in the next verse we look at, it won't go there yet, it seems like they were not expecting that star to actually lead them to Bethlehem and, of all things, to lead them to the house that Jesus was in. Now, that does sound like a supernatural event, a pretty amazing thing. <coughs> so, what was the nature of the star? Not sure. I'll give you my quick opinion on that. Uh, I think it's very important to remember Genesis chapter 1. Why did God put the stars in the sky, according to Genesis chapter 1? Okay, think about that. Why did he put him in the sky? For signs. Signs, seasons, days, and years. Signs. A lot of people skip over that. Uh, they are for signs. Was there ever a time for a sign? Uh, the verse of the Messiah, would that be a good time for a sign? Well, God said, not me, God said in Genesis 1, that's why I put the stars up there, to give you signs. If you guys would look at them and understand, I'm putting them up there for signs. Uh, maybe these guys were looking and many others weren't and understanding maybe there was a sign up there. Uh, also, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And uh, they do speak if we're willing to listen. Uh, I personally think there's a ton up in the stars because Genesis 1 says so. Uh, God has put a lot of things in the stars. For those who really perhaps spend in their entire life studying the stars, and maybe that's what these guys did, and put that along with the true belief in the one God, Reading his word, too, uh, maybe there's a lot of things you could find in the stars. It says in Genesis 1. I'm not just saying that. Uh, another reason why I think it's, there's a lot up in the stars uh, is because Satan has gone to such great lengths to cover it up. Uh, horoscopes, astrology, all of that is everywhere, and it probably makes even Christians, some of you are probably feeling weird right now that I'm talking about signs in the stars, aren't you? Because we're not supposed to talk about that. That's evil stuff. No, Genesis 1, God created those stars, and he put, the, put signs up there. And uh, we can look up there, and sometimes there are signs that mean things. More we could say there, that's my opinion. So the, uh, the planets coming together there, I think that probably is what they saw. But you can, uh, you can uh, decide for yourself. I know what some of you are thinking, how could that lead right to a house? That's impossible, Mike. Actually, it's quite easy that it could lead them right to a house. But I need to move on here. <clears throat> what 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's that phrase, when they saw the star. They really weren't expecting the star to lead them right to the house. That was just an amazing extra added thing that God did. And it just filled them with extreme joy. I do wonder when they got to Jerusalem if they were a little let down because the whole city was not celebrating the king of the Jews. I wonder if they were let down when they got to the palace and Herod wasn't sure what they were talking about. I wonder if they really got let down and they wondered, man, we just traveled three months. That was a long trip. It was so hot out there. Uh, You know, everything, the whole trip uh, was really bad. We've come all this way and our goal was to worship Jesus. I I wonder if we messed up. I wonder if we misinterpreted the star. I wonder if something's wrong. And I I tend to wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if they were a little let down and God gave them a little boost here. And he said, no, that star is exactly the right one. And you have exactly the right interpretation. And he says, I'm even going to show you right where the house is. Whatever it was, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Have you ever done that? Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy? (laughs) I don't know. That's a lot of joy, isn't it? Uh, Obviously, the Greek here must be really hard to translate because uh, those are some weird words. (laughs) How do you rejoice exceedingly? I mean, rejoicing alone is a good thing. Exceedingly is a pretty strong word, pretty powerful. Uh, To rejoice exceedingly, why did they add on with great joy? (laughs) Apparently, the wording in the Greek, the NAS, which is what this is, they try to, you know, show if there's something in the Greek, they try to show it somehow in the English, and so there must be some really powerful words for joy there. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Perhaps they had spent a lifetime studying the stars, looking for the truth, and maybe this was the culmination of all of that. And uh, they realized at that moment, uh, somehow, somehow I think they realized that God had led them. The one true God who put that star there had truly led them to the very house of the one that they had come to worship. They led them to Jesus. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Has God led you to Jesus Christ? Has he done things in your life to help you understand who he is and to eventually bring you to a spot where you can fall on your knees and worship him? I hope you rejoice exceedingly with great joy, like the Magi did. After they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. What did they come to do? They came to worship. Did they accomplish it? They did. With God's help, he led them and they worshiped Jesus. That was their three-month, four-month goal in all of that was simply to worship Jesus. It says they saw the child. There's a Greek word for a baby, and it's not that word. It is a word for someone who's not a baby, a child. So that does show that we're sometime after. Uh, they didn't come to the, to the manger scene. Uh, with the shepherds. I know that makes a nice story and, and in the pictures it looks good. Uh, but it probably came a lot longer after that. Maybe a year or so. We don't know exactly uh, when. So they fell down. They worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And here we have that famous line there that every kid knows, right? Gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. <coughs> gold. Uh, they gave their best. By the way, where did these gifts come from? From the east, they had packed them all the way. I mean, it was a hard enough trip in the blazing sun for three months. 
And they had to pack along all this stuff, too. They really wanted to worship, didn't they? Uh, what did they really think about this baby or about this kid? Did they think pretty highly of him? Gold and frankincense and myrrh. He's the king of the Jews. Seemed like uh, if it's right that there was an idea in the Middle East that there was a king that would come from Judea that would make everything right in the area, it sure seemed like they thought it was him. And, uh, and they were staking their time on it, their efforts, their resources, and they give him their very best. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Does it say they prevented... Does it say they presented three gifts? They presented gifts. Some of them were of gold, some were of frankincense, some of myrrh. Uh, Might have been a whole pile of stuff. Uh, It just says the type of the gifts was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, uh, we don't know if they had specific things in mind when they gave him those three gifts. Some people see their symbolic gold being symbolic of deity, purity, and kingship. Uh, frankincense, the fragrance, the beautiful fragrance of his life uh, that he would live. And myrrh, often used in embalming dead bodies. Perhaps the myrrh uh, was looking forward to his sacrifice and his death. Uh, we don't know if that's what they were thinking or not. Um, I used to not think so, so much, but you know, these guys really were wise. I think they were very wise. I think God had somehow revealed a lot to these guys. Why would you get on your... Probably not camels, by the way. They probably were actually known for riding these really big horses. Uh, But why would you get on whatever it is you're riding across the desert uh, to go for so long? Why would you do all this stuff? Uh, They truly believed uh, a lot about him. They knew something about who he was. They gave their best. You know, we just did a study through the uh, Minor Prophets a couple weeks ago. We were doing Malachi. Dave uh, led us through that. And in Malachi, God told the Jews several times. He said, you're bringing your worst sacrifices. He said, stop doing it. You're going out to you look at your lambs and you're bringing the worst. You're bringing the bad ones, the lame ones, the worst. And it's not when you come bring your sacrifice, it's not coming from your heart. You're doing it because you have to. He says, stop, just stop doing it. Uh, He says, I'm not accepting them. They were bad sacrifices. This is the Jewish people who knew God. And here, what do we have here? We have Gentiles from far away. Do you think God accepted these gifts? How far did they travel just to give them? This is their best, their very best. Uh, Maybe it wasn't a lamb. Maybe it wasn't done in, a, in the, the Levitical way. But boy, their hearts seemed to be in the right spot. As far as we know, they came to worship. They gave them their very best. Uh, and uh, just the fact that they traveled so far tells us a lot, I think, about them. They were willing to do anything just to worship Jesus. Uh, a good example for us. Uh, all right. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Did you know God spoke to the Magi in a dream? You know that's something I really never put together in the Christmas story till here, in a dream. It almost says it matter-of-factly. You know, I almost wonder, did God speak to the Magi earlier on about something? Hmm. Perhaps. Uh, moving on, verse 13. 
I wish I could stop here. Uh, the story of the Magi is great. I think we should be like them. It's encouraging, and uh, we should have a lot of joy because we found Jesus. But there is more to this chapter, and uh, let's, let's read through it. Verse 13. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod. This happened so that what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. So Joseph gets one of his many dreams here. God tells him to get up and go to Egypt. Not a small thing to do. And he listens. God communicates to him. Joseph listens and he immediately acts on it. And that's a good example for us. And they take off to Egypt. Boy, you know, that's a long trip. It might take a lot of money along the way. How are they going to get money for a trip like that? Any ideas? <laughs> Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, probably worth a lot. I wonder if that's what they used. <clears throat> All right, and uh, Matthew points out that this is a fulfillment of prophecy uh, from the Old Testament. Verse 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. He sent men and killed all the boys who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity who were two years old or under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Wow, a terrible thing done by an evil leader, uh, Herod. He has all the boys killed two years old and under. Do you remember when he secretly called the Magi and he determined from them secretly when the star appeared? Apparently he took what they told him and he determined that, boy, if we kill everyone two and under, that would cover it. So that doesn't tell us exactly how old Jesus was, but it tells us probably somewhere under two years old, maybe uh, one, one and a half years old, something like that. Verse 17, Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Why did Herod have all those babies killed? He wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus perhaps being the Messiah, Herod wanted to stop it. Well, were there other prophecies about the Messiah as he grew up, what he would do? There was. Herod was trying to stop God's plan, wasn't he? He was trying to stop the Messiah. Is that going to work out well for him? No, you can't stop God's plan. Uh, he did a horrible, evil thing. Many people killed. One historian said it might have been around 30, uh, if you consider the size and everything, around 30 uh, boys dead at the time. He tried to stop God's plan. He tried to stop all the prophecies about the Messiah. And yet, do you see what Matthew tells us there? What had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Herod was fulfilling a prophecy as he was trying to stop the prophecies of the Messiah. Do you see that there? The irony of what's going on. You cannot stop God's plan, and you might just find yourself playing in to God's hands. <clears throat> Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt 
and say, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and settled in a city called Nazareth. This happened so that what was spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. He was called a Nazarene. Four times in this chapter, we see uh, that prophecies are being fulfilled. God had written prophecies hundreds of years before, and they were being fulfilled now in the life of Jesus. We also see Jesus, uh, from a very young age, had people that wanted to kill him. That would continue through his life, wouldn't it? And eventually there would be people who would actually kill him. But even then, were they stopping God's plan? No, they actually were playing into it, weren't they? Again, God speaks to Joseph two more times. Joseph listens, and he immediately responds by doing what God said to do. In Matthew chapter 2, I see a lot of things. One thing I really see is God's communication. He communicates to many people in many different ways. He communicated to the Magi through his creation, the stars. And, and I would guess they probably studied other things too, and that might have helped as well. He communicates through his word. Uh, do you remember any time in this story where God actually used the writings, the Old Testament, to communicate to people? When they were looking for where he was going to be born, they immediately went there and they found out it was Bethlehem. Uh, he communicates through his word, through his creation, through people. Uh, the Magi coming to talk to Herod and others, that was a communication piece right there that God was using to communicate something. Uh, he communicated in dreams and, and angels, and I don't know if the angel was in the dream or really there. I'm kind of confused, but angels and dreams, lots of communication. Is God trying to communicate to you? God trying to catch your attention, trying to tell you something, maybe revealing who he is, maybe trying to lead you to Jesus Christ, maybe uh, giving you uh, guidance right now in your life. Is God trying to communicate with you? I think the answer is yes. Perhaps the question is, are you listening? Are you listening to God? You know, one of the, the clearest way you can communicate is his word. Are you listening? Are you reading this? It's God talking to you. Uh, he wants to talk. He says, here, I want to talk to you. Are you going to listen or not? Are you listening? Maybe he's using people in your life. Maybe he's using circumstances to talk to you to get your attention. Uh, he uses many different things, doesn't he? Are you listening? I hope you are because sometimes people don't listen and he has to do extreme things to get your attention. Maybe it's better not to wait till then and listen to him now. Uh, and you know what? The people in the story, the Magi listened, uh, Joseph and Mary listened. Did Herod and the, the chief priests listen? Kind of. They actually went to the Bible and they knew that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. There was a kind of listening there. It's kind of like they knew it and they heard, but it had no effect on their life. So the third question I want to put up there, what's your response? I think God is communicating to all of us. Uh, are you listening and what's your response? Are you going to respond? Uh, Joseph is a great example. As soon as he's told what to do, in the middle of the night, he gets up and does it. Uh, 
the Magi, man, go on a three-month trip through the blazing hot desert uh, just to worship Jesus. That was their response. What a great response that was. What's your response? Is God communicating to you? Are you listening? And what's your response? One more thing I want to say, but I'm going to go ahead and invite the music people to come on up here and get ready. Uh, and I'm going to say it while they're coming up here. Come on up, music people. One more thing I want to remind you of. As I was studying for this, I was looking for pictures of the wise men, you know. Every picture, I could not find a single picture where the wise men were smiling. Do you know that? The wise men are somber. Here is your gift. What's one of the few things we know about them? Joyful. They were joyful. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't know what that looked like. I don't think it looked like any of the pictures I saw that I was searching for. They were joyful. Uh, they had been led to Jesus Christ. That was something to rejoice about, perhaps something to sing about. Has God led you to the Lord Jesus Christ? If he has, I hope you rejoice exceedingly with great joy. And uh, we're going to have a chance now to sing, and uh, maybe we can even do a little bit of that right now.
Your love to free.
Let's finish with prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we're thankful for uh, your gifts to us. We're thankful uh, that you've given us an opportunity to gather this morning uh, and to be together and um, how these things are a gift to us. We're ultimately thankful that you have given us uh, yourself and that there is no uh, greater gift than that. Um, it's you that we praise, uh, Lord. It's you that we adore, and um, it's to you that we're thankful for an opportunity to gather and do that this morning. So we appreciate this so much, and we give you thanks in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.